morning, everyone. Uh, <clears throat> my name is uh, John Tofik, and um, it's my privilege today to uh, adv advocate on behalf of our partners in East Africa, Kevin and Bridget. Um, and then there's their picture there up on the screen. Um, so th they've been serving in East Africa for um, um, nine or 10 years now. And um, I'll start off this morning by mentioning that, that prior to them planting themselves um, in that region in East Africa, Kevin and Bridget lived in Medford. Um, so that was you know, about 10 years ago. That was right around the time when RHC was just getting started, um, also planting roots in this area. And, and at that time, Kevin and Bridget were partnering with, with our church to help bring about soccer nights. So they're no strangers to RHC. We've been friends with them for a long time. Um, as a church now, we are part of Kevin and Bridget's, Bridget's network of global partners. Right now, um, they happen to be in the States for a particular season. Um, even when they were overseas, they maintained a strong connection to our church and even our community group. Um, we have been edified by the times that they've taken to communicate with us. Um, and actually, a couple weeks ago, they even joined our group um, via Zoom, and, and we were um, in touch with them, you know, semi-live uh, in, in, in our virtual uh, community group. And so, um, you know, they've really been uh, really great about being in touch and being strong partners on this whole time. So again, we're grateful for our relationship with Kevin and Bridget, and we're privileged to be partnering with them as they work to serve the people of East Africa. With that, I'm going to turn your attention over to a video that gives a glimpse of how God is, is at work in their ministry right now. Hi, church. We're your global partners from East Africa. We so appreciate the support that you've given that has allowed us to be ministering for the last 19 years. It is our privilege to live and serve in an urban center in East Africa. We live on the south side of the city. Our neighbors, typical of an urban center, are from all over the world. We wake up in the mornings to the call to prayer from the local mosque. There's a Hindu temple up the road and a Sikh temple right across the street from that. There are people from all sorts of tribes and tongues and languages right all around us. But we also have neighbors who love and follow Jesus. We're involved in a local church that gathers on Sundays about 10 minutes walk from our house. And we're helping them to love and serve and share hope with their neighbors. I've been mentoring a young Kenyan man from the local church who is now overseeing the church's outreach. He's leading discovery Bible studies and he's doing training events for other people who want to get involved. Even now, while we're here in the US, they've started a soccer program and have been training new believers in other churches to join them. But this is just one neighborhood in one city on a vast continent. Our organization is seeking to place teams where people are literally living and dying without hope. And these teams need team leaders. We have the privilege of helping to equip these new team leaders for the work God is calling them to do. I serve as the director of Leading from the Inside Out, a training program for new team leaders. We train new team leaders in the areas of spiritual development, in the nuts and bolts of leading teams, and we provide hands-on support for them as they lead their teams. People like Troy and Becca, leading a team in South Sudan, a country you may have heard of recently in the news. It's devastated by war and by famine, but Troy and Becca are there together with their team, sharing hope in a place where hope, medicine, and water are all in short supply. Troy is a veterinarian and Becca homeschools their children and together they lead a team that serves their community in a variety of ways. We're grateful to have been able to give them some tools and help them lead their team more effectively. Lately, I've been praying this breath prayer myself. Here, O oh Lord, I wait for you alone. I'm learning to rest in the here and in the now, even in the middle of a pandemic, trusting that the here and now is where the Lord wants me to be, trusting that He's in control and I don't have to pretend that I am. He's certainly able to do all things. And so I'm waiting for his instructions, but especially I'm waiting for his presence because I know that nothing else, nothing more, nothing less will ever truly satisfy. You can pray for us that we would know how to wait for the Lord and how to courageously obey his promptings when we hear them. 
You can pray for Kevin as he retools the training program to make it more effective. And you can pray for our local church that God would use the believers there and work through them. And you can pray for the team leaders we train that they would be effective at leading their teams and spreading hope across Africa. So um, that was a great video. So thanks to Kevin and Bridget who, uh, for providing that so we can all get that glimpse. Um, so um, in, in that video, I'll just mention, um, I noticed a recurring theme of multiplying leaders. So, so they are leading other leaders and then who are gonna be leading their communities. And, and that theme of multiplication um, really st stands out and, um, and so that they can multiply that message of hope to the people in their region. And then the second thing is um, another use of, of a soccer program to be a bridge to the community so that they can, they can be uh, better servants to those people um, in those areas. Um, so also, as we heard um, from them, we, can, we knew how to be, we can be praying for them in their, in their ministry. Um, it's probably obvious by now, but um, RHC is part of their support team financially. And we have an opportunity on March 29th to give financially to some real tangible needs um, that's going to go a long way to helping them in their work to serve the people of East Africa. On the screen um, is our three, tang uh, or I guess four rather, tangible ways that that, that money is going to be used to, um, to support them in their work. Um, so the first one is the computer uh, and um, training supplies for, for Bible studies and outreach, our supplies for outreach and, and, and Chromebooks to support the digital aspects of, of, of those, that outreach. And so we're looking to raise um, $2,000. That's part of the overall goal that we have for Multiply March. Um, and, so, and so with that said, I'd encourage you to take the opportunity to connect with them and stay plugged in by receiving their updates. Um, if you have your phone, there's going to be a QR code that's going to be, I believe, on some posters as you exit. And you can scan that QR code. It's going to take you to a link that is going to be um, where you can you can click on that and you can there's ways to sign up and instructions for how to take next steps to receive their updates um, on a on a on a on a semi-frequent basis. So um, with that said, um, I'd like to to um, to go to the Lord in prayer right now for Kevin and Bridget and their family. Um, so bow with me, please. Dear Jesus, we thank you for. Uh, for, for what you've done and, and the work that you're doing in Kevin and Bridget as they are serving you in East Africa and um, uh, really sac sacrificially. And um, thank you for their family, for how much that they have uh, edified us as a church. Thank you for the example that they are to, to us and to the people that they are leading. Um, and Lord, we pray for the Luce family to know how to wait for the Lord, to clearly hear his voice and obey his promptings. Um, give, them to take, um, give them courage to take new steps as you lead them. We pray for the local church. We pray that uh, leaders would rise up in that church that can even be part of the training program um, and the effort overall to go out and be, um, to be, to, to be people that can reach out and to serve their community. We pray that you would give Kevin wisdom as he takes on the task of, of retooling the training program he is leading. We pray that he has clarity in making decisions that will impact leaders um, and, and the communities they serve. And finally, we pray for the team leaders that are being trained. We pray for their effectiveness as they are out in their local regions, which sometimes is not in the direct vicinity of where Kevin and Bridget are immediately located. We pray that they would be effective. We pray that, um, that, that you, would, you would uniquely equip them to be able to serve the people and to have that strong connection so that they can um, send that message of hope to, to all the people that they're seeking to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Let's give it up for John, as well as Kevin and Bridget sharing with us today. I really appreciate uh, him helping us understand what's happening uh, through our partnership with Kevin and Bridget and the great work they're doing in East Africa. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Mark, we're going to be in chapter 4. So if you're using an app, turn it on and uh, turn to find Mark 4, starting in verse 21. And uh, as you find this section, uh, just want to put a statement out there for your consideration this morning, okay? It's, it's not so much about 
what we know, but it's about how we respond to what we know. All right? I'm going to say that again. It's not so much about what we know, but it's about how we respond to what we know. In Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God, and he is dropping lyrical gold. He is helping us understand what his kingdom is about, what it's like, the nature of his kingdom, but not just the nature of his kingdom, but how we can understand, accept, and actually participate in the kingdom of God. This is the difference, yes, between secondhand knowledge versus firsthand knowledge. We can read a book or we can see a couple videos on TikTok, but that's not the same thing as writing the book or making the videos. Jesus is saying, I want you to have an experiential knowledge that this is not just something you've heard about, it's something you have experienced. That is the invitation of our text today. Accept and live in the power of God's surprising kingdom. You might want to write that down this morning. Accept and live in the power of God's surprising kingdom. And Redemption Hill, listen, I, I want to say to you this morning, okay, both personally and collectively, God wants this for you. Now, like, not just like the person, like he cares about the people around you, he cares about the persons around you, he wants them to experience it, but he wants you to experience it. He, he cares about every church in Boston, every church around the globe, okay, but he wants us to experience it. This is why he helps us see through the use of parables. Pastor John helped us understand that parables teach spiritual truths by way of comparison, but it's not just, again, for information, but they are to elicit a response. We are to respond to what we hear. And so I want to read these verses for us, and I would ask you to ask God to help you hear and to receive so that you would accept and live in the power of God's surprising kingdom. Mark records what Jesus says beginning in verse 21 and says this, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is this, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in his sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately, he, to his own disciples, he explained everything. I want to give you five 
surprising truths about the kingdom of God that we learn from these words of Jesus. Five surprising truths. The the first surprising truth of the kingdom of God, which may not seem too surprising, but let's just give it a minute and consider what is going on here throughout the gospel of Mark. Jesus is the message of God's kingdom. Jesus is the message of God's kingdom. We need to understand that verses 21 through 34, they build on what Pastor John shared last week from the parable of the the sower, or maybe better put, the parable of the, the soils, the soils of our heart, how we hear the word of God and respond to the word of God. As Pastor John explained, parables served a dual purpose. To the receptive, they revealed the kingdom of God, but to the To the resistant, they concealed the kingdom of God. Just like sun hardens clay and melts wax, it depends on the state of our heart and how we are hearing the word of God. And so now Jesus is going to continue helping us understand what the parables are like and what he's communicating about the kingdom of God to help them understand how much he wants his kingdom message known. He begins in verse 21, and he says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now listen, like sometimes scripture is is a little more difficult to understand. You've got to think about it. You have to compare scripture with scripture. Okay, like what is Jesus saying? Okay, like there there is no doubt what Jesus is saying. Here is a blatantly rhetorical question that everyone that's hearing his voice and hearing his voice today is like saying, no, no, yes. No, we don't. We don't have lamps to hide under a basket or put under a bed, but we put them on a stand so it will provide maximum light in a room. And Jesus is saying this is what the message of the kingdom is like. It is is so that everyone can know who I am and what my kingdom is like. The message of the kingdom is, is, the, is the lamp, the light, but there is actually more going on here in the text. If we were to, to read this literally in the Greek, it would, it would read, does the lamp come in order that it might be placed under the bowl or under the bed? Now just, just think about that and, and, and just let it sink in for a minute. Does the lamp come? Now, 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 I don't know about you, but, but here's another obvious, like if Jesus is saying this about a lamp, here's another obvious observation. Okay, lamps don't move. Inanimate objects do not have the ability to animate and move. They are brought, which is why most English translations say, is not a lamp brought into a room. But Jesus says, does not the lamp come? So, so this must not be referring to... Uh, and just just any thing or object, but it seems to be referring to a person because people move, people arrive, people show up, and not only that. This is not just like uh, you know a number of options, like a lot of lamps out there. It doesn't say do lamps come. It says does not the lamp come. This is a specific person with a specific mission. Jesus is saying, I am. God's lamp to reveal who God is and how you can participate in his kingdom. And this was radical. For Jesus to say that he is the lamp, it is an implicit claim to both divinity and his messiahship. The Old Testament in 2 Samuel 22 would refer to God as a lamp. And over and over again, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, in the Psalms, we would see that the Messiah would come as a light, as a lamp. So much so that Jesus would make this explicit in John chapter 8, verse 12, when he says, I am the light of the world. You need to hear this today, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. You need to hear that Jesus is the light of the world, and whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He came to light us up. He came to light up the dark places of your life. 
He came to, to drive out the darkness. I don't know about you, but there's a little darkness left in my heart. Tanner Turley isn't perfect yet, and I'm still being changed by God. And, and I don't know about you, but this city is not full of light, and we need the light of Christ to flood our city, to flood our nation, to flood our world. This is why Jesus came. And he makes it even more explicit in verse 22. He says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. The word manifest means made known, revealed. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. To put it in today's terms, we might say, whatever is said off air will be broadcast on every station. Whatever is written offline will one day be put on every website. I have showed up so that I can be the, oh wait, so that, so that people can hear me, so that the microphone and the speaker, stack, stack the speak. come on over here video, like stack the speakers up, put a couple more, like we want the whole world to know. Jesus is saying, everyone needs to know this message. I didn't show up to be concealed. I showed up to reveal who God is. But but Jesus, he's, he's helping us understand that not everyone is going to understand. The message is concealed for some. But but God's heart, God's hope is that people would come to understand the message. They may not understand right now. They may not see God's glory shining through my life in everything that I say, in everything that I do, in all of who I am, but one day my glory will be revealed for all to see. This is what he's saying. He's saying it may be concealed now, but it will be made known. It may seem like a secret, but one day it will not be a secret to anyone. You say, well, Tanner, when, when does this happen? When will, when will what is secret be brought to light? Well, for, for some in Jesus' day, as he was teaching and as he was performing signs and wonders before their eyes, they were, they were believing in him in those moments. And maybe today this is, this is your reality. We pray whether you're watching and, and, and worshiping online or, or here in the room that, that you would believe in Jesus and see who he is in his life, death, and resurrection, how he came to be the light, to be your light, to bring you life. But, but, but in, in the story as it goes, more and more people understood the light after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection as the disciples, his closest followers, would take his message all over the place to let people know who he is. And one day, in the words of C.S. Lewis, when he returns as God without disguise, everyone will know who he is. Everyone who has rejected him tacitly or obstinately, they will all see the glory of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus really wants us to know this. He really wants us to understand this. This is why he repeats what he said earlier in verse 9, in verse 23, when he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? That's what verse 23 is asking. Are you ready to respond to what you hear? I am the message of the kingdom. Life is found in me. That's the metaphor of light is all about life and knowledge and, and understanding of of who God is and who he's made us to be. But then the second surprising truth of God's kingdom that we see in verses 24 and 25, it shows us that while Jesus is the message of God's kingdom, I love this, there is always more of Jesus to receive. There is always more of Jesus to receive. He he says in verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. I mean, Pastor John, last week, said the parable of soils is about having all, all ears, being all ears, listening. Jesus he keeps coming back to this again and again. Pay attention to what you hear. It's really interesting. It would literally say, see what you hear. Behold what you hear. 
He combines sensory language to, to maximize the point that he wants our full and undivided attention. And then he says, listen, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is a, this is a proverb from the marketplace. In first century Israel, in the marketplace, if, if someone was, was going to maybe, you know, uh, get like a, a half a bushel of barley, you know, they might bring a bushel of grain and, you know, barley was worth a little more than grain. And so, but, but, the, but the thing that they would want to make sure is that the, the measuring scales were the same so that there was an integrity of process in any sale or any trade. And so Jesus here is drawing on this common everyday uh, metaphor, and he's saying, what you invest, you will receive. What you invest, you will receive. He he says this in in different contexts in different ways. If you go to Matthew chapter 7, you would see the same uh, statement applied to judgment. If you judge others in a holier-than-thou way, you're better than them, and you're looking down on them, and you're judging them for how they're living their life, um, then He's saying, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Luke chapter 6, he uses it in in three different ways, about judgment, about forgiveness, and about giving. The measure you use, it will be measured to you. Here in Mark chapter 4, he's using it about how we hear his words. If you invest and you receive And you not just receive for information's sake, but you receive to truly accept it by faith and stake your life on it and live it out day by day by day, you're going to receive a return on your investment. And again, this is not just about hearing. It is about hearing and responding. Grant Osborne helps us out with this, a scholar who says, in both Hebrew and Greek, to hear means to obey. To hear means to obey. When one listens by the nature of the process, one must act on what is heard. And there are a ton of scripture references in my notes. They're online. You can check them out. But then in the next line, I I love this. You can't miss this. Jesus, listen, online, listen. Jesus doesn't just say, "You, you get what you give. Jesus says, I love this. And still more will be added. This this shows us, this blows me up. This shows us that God is always relating to us in grace and generosity, okay? This is not karma. Karma says what goes around comes around. But but the gospel, the, the, the good news of Jesus is that, listen, we relate to God on the basis of his love and grace, and whatever we give to him is because we've received something in the first place, but then when we give it to him, he gives us back, and he not only gives us back, but he gives us more than we gave him. You might want to write this down. God always tips the scales. He's always giving more. He's so generous to us. You cannot outgive God. And this is such a surprising revelation. Because in our pride, you know, we hear a couple of Bible stories. We walk with God for, you know, two, three, four, five, 10, 20, 30 years, 40, 50 years even. And just over and over again, we'll kind of have this like, I got it. Like, I know the stories. I've read the Bible a couple times, you know, like 20 times. Like, I, I know, I know, like there's, I've received what God has to give. But God is an infinite fountain. He never runs out of more to give us. He keeps giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, and it's always good. It's not like the fountain machine you ever, like, go to a restaurant, you know, we can't wait till restaurants are more open, and we can, like, even hang out with our friends there and stuff, but, you know, like, you go to the fountain machine, and you put your drink, maybe a soda, you know, even though you're living healthy, and you're going for that diet coke, maybe less, you know, whatever, and, and it's like, all of a sudden, you get back to your table, you take a sip, and you want to spit it out. Because there's no carbonation. There's like, it's lost its taste. It's lost. Like that never happens when we come to God. 
He always gives more. He, he loves to show us more of himself. He wants us to experience his generosity. Listen, if you've been focusing on spending focused face-to-face time with God day by day by day, listen, you will never spend one minute of sincere time with God where you are saying, God, would you speak to me? I am coming because I need you in my life. I need you to change me. You will never spend one minute where God doesn't give you more than that minute that you gave him. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. It's like, it's like I hear this uh, on my YouTube playlist, you know, for some reason. I'm getting these Robin Hood, uh, you know, uh, commercials. And this is not for, like, the, the Disney movie. Um, this, if, if that was even a Disney movie, who cares? Um, you know, the, the Robin Hood character, it is for an app by which you can make investments in the stock market. And so now they have uh, released the limits where you can even set up accounts for children, so like Titus is too, like we could open an account for Titus and they're telling me that if we'll start putting like a hundred whatever dollars a month, you know, in there for Titus, that like by the age of 18, he'll have so many thousands of dollars. That's wonderful. But when we invest in the word of God, when we invest in our relationship with Christ, it's, it's actually a treasure that you can take with you after you leave this earth. Like, you know, Jesus says this again in verse 25. I mean, if you think I'm redundant sometimes, just, I mean, it makes me uh, feel, feel good that Jesus was redundant uh, because he says for the, in verse 25, for to the one who has, more will be given. He's like, he doesn't want them to miss this. If you have it now and you keep seeing, like you were more, more, more will be given, more will be added. The, the devotional guide that Pastor John created for us this year, there's a question there. Is there a promise to claim as you're reading these words and here are promises to claim? More will be given, more will be added. That's a promise that we can take with us. But there's another promise. It's not exciting, it's... Very sad, at the end of verse 25, it says, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And what Jesus is speaking to here is those who reject the word of Christ, their spiritual blindness will only increase. Their heart will become harder if they do not humble themselves before God and receive the words that Jesus is speaking to them. Let's receive the message of the kingdom because there is always more, always more. Wherever you are today, there is always more of Jesus to receive. And then in the next section, he moves into a parable about a seed that is growing. And from this parable, we learn that the message of God's kingdom possesses inherent power. The message of God's kingdom possesses inherent power. In verse 26, Jesus starts into this, this parable and he says the kingdom of God, the parables so often explain the kingdom, what the kingdom is like, what, what it means to, to know Jesus and his rule and reign uh, in our lives. And he says that, that it's like a man scattering seed on the ground. We've already established that the, the seed is the word of God. It is centering in the lamp, the message of Jesus Christ. And he, he goes on and he, he, he tells us that the point of a seed, which we know, is to see it come alive and grow and give life to others. But how does it happen? Verse 27. After this man scatters seed on the ground, it says he sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But whenever the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Do you see what Jesus is communicating here? Do you hear what, usually, by the way, this is an interpretive tip when you're reading the Bible and you come to a parable, okay, usually there's one main point of a parable. There may be some other takeaways in there, there may be some other things to learn, okay, but it's like sometimes people, and like especially in certain points of church history, okay, people would read a parable and they would come away with 20 points. Usually there's one main point. 
And this one main point is about the inherent power in the word of Christ. Because what's going on in the parable? The man scatters the seed, and then what? He goes, and he pushes his sleep number, and he goes to bed. And he does it day after day after day. Like, what Jesus is communicating is like, he sowed the seed, and then he just goes about his daily business. He doesn't go to where he sowed the seed and, like, inspect the dirt every day just to watch it. He doesn't come by the field and give inspiring speeches to the seed. Okay, hey, today is the day you're going to grow. Believe it or not, I've tried that. (laughs) I kid you not, I've tried it. You can ask my wife. Um, I would pray, like, God help this seed grow because I'm a massive failure. By the way, it was difficult to hear Pastor John's sermon last week, you know? Oh, look at my yard. It's so green. Look at my, let's check out my thumbs. Come and learn my ways. Pastor John, I love you, and I need your help again this spring, okay? Um, verse 28 is the key. It says, the earth produces by itself. Again, the Greek, and, and I don't want to throw out too much Greek, because so it's like, oh, you have to be a scholar, you have to be a pastor and read these commentaries to know what the Bible's saying. Okay, like, we can get this from the text. We can get it from just reading the English, but sometimes it's helpful to have a little further explanation. The Greek says, automatically, the earth bears fruit. Okay, so the, the Greek word is automate, and it's fronted in the sentence, which means it comes first for emphasis. Automatically, it bears fruit. So, so the point here is that we just simply share the message, we sow the seed, and then God breathes life. God moves by his Holy Spirit sovereignly as the word hits receptive human hearts to bring them life spiritually in Jesus Christ. Our job is to sow the seed. God's job is to save and to give the growth. This is what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. And I, I, this just really encourages me. Because I'm very, very interested in my neighbors and, and you know, the, the 60,000 people around Medford and the 316,000 people around contiguous cities around Medford and the, you know, roughly five or six million people in greater Boston. Like, I want all of them to know who Jesus is. But the pressure is not on us. There's no pressure. There is a responsibility. Our responsibility is to actually sow the seed, just to put the word of God in people's hands, before their eyes, in their ears. And we may do that dozens of times, hundreds of times, sowing seed to the same person, sowing more seed, sowing more seed. This is what, this is what God's showing me. This is how God's changing my life. This is what Jesus said in John 8. This is what Jesus said in Mark 4. This is what... But it's God's job to... Bring those words to life in the human heart so that people will respond and receive the message. I love a story. One of my friends, his name is Josh. I, uh, I met him about five years ago. And, and, and I don't, I mean, I don't know about you, but, but I just get nervous still uh, when I share the gospel, especially with strangers. And, and so I was just like praying, like, God, give me some strength here. I started a conversation and uh, just asking about his life, whatever. It's like, hey, man, I have this little booklet. It, it just tells about Jesus and, and how he's changed my life. I'd love for you to read it. And sometimes people are like, no, Thanks. But, but most of the time, people will at least, maybe it's out of kindness, you know, maybe like, don't want to make you feel bad, whatever, like, but they take it. And so I saw him again about a week later, and, and he brought it up. He said, I, I couldn't get past the first paragraph without being moved to tears. John 1.5 says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And that, and that simple truth just grabbed his heart. And it changed his life. And, and about 
A month later, he received Jesus as Lord. And about three months later, we baptized him in our church. We are not ashamed of the gospel. What does it mean to have shame? He's like, you, know, you want to hide, you want to cower back. You don't want people to know where you stand. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We are not the power of God. Our words are not the power of God. God's word, God's message, Jesus Christ is the power of God. He is changing people's lives. The word has inherent power. And then Jesus goes on and he talks about how this kingdom grows. And and the fourth truth I want you to see is that God's kingdom may seem insignificant, but it will grow to reach every nation. For the fourth time, actually the third time in chapter four, Jesus speaks of the kingdom of God, clearly connecting a theme for us to pay attention to throughout the chapter. And he uses another proverbial symbol that was common in, in Jewish, uh, you know, conversation and, and the vernacular of the day, that of a mustard seed. It was super, super small, and it seemed very, very insignificant. If you were to hold it in the palm of your hand, like, you could barely see it. It was it's that small. And Jesus is speaking hyperbolically here to make a point. Scientists would tell you that the, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world, but it is the smallest seed that produces such a large bush. So it was perfect for the point. This contrast, again, tips us off to the main point that Jesus wants us to see, that his kingdom community in the beginning of his kingdom, when he showed up, it seemed insignificant. Jesus was from Nazareth, okay? So like that is like, that is not like the, 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 the place of the palace, the kingdom, okay? That is not where, you know, the most influential people come from, okay? It was looked down upon. That's where Jesus grew up. And Jesus didn't come as a political figure to overthrow Rome. So it's like, he didn't seem all that important. And yet Jesus is saying, listen, this insignificant, seemingly insignificant, better put, start to... This kingdom community, it will not stay small. It will, it will not appear always as insignificant, but it will grow to actually touch every corner of the earth. That's the contrast. That's the, that's the point of the parable. It may seem insignificant now, but it will have global glory. And we see this from what he goes on to say in verse 32. He says, yet when the smallest of seeds is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, why would Jesus say it's so large that birds can nest in its shade? On the one hand, I think he's certainly helping us see the scale of the size of this tree, this, this bush that grows to be this tree that, that, that is, is providing something from, from something so small, but there's, again, more than meets the eye. If we were to go back and look at the Old Testament, we would see how this, this language is used to talk about the nations coming to rest in the provision of God's tree. Ezekiel chapter 17, verse 23, on the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar, and under it will dwell, listen, every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. That's for starters, Ezekiel 17, 23. But then then we hear Ezekiel 31, verse 6, that says this, all the birds of the heavens made their nest in its boughs. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And under its shadow, here it is, lived all great nations. Jesus' kingdom may begin with an upstart group of men and women who are not formally educated, who don't seem to have it all together, but it will grow and grow and grow and at times very rapidly grow and it will touch every 
people group on the planet before everything is said and done. This is why we have March to focus on what we call Multiply March, where we highlight mission partners that are serving in Montreal and East Africa and, and even here locally in Boston, as we'll hear next week, because we have heard Jesus' message and mission that he doesn't just care about one group of people who look one type of way, but he cares about every kind of people all over the place, and he wants everyone to know who he is and find life in him. This is why we're going to send out teams from Redemption Hill to start churches around greater Boston and and send all over the, the world because everyone deserves to know who Jesus is and to find life in him. This is why in a few weeks we're going to invite our friends to join us for Easter Sunday, whether That means in person or online. That's why we're having two services. Okay, because we want everyone in greater Boston to have the opportunity to hear who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The kingdom may seem insignificant, but it will grow to reach every nation. And then finally and briefly, the fifth surprising truth, and this may be the most surprising of all of them to you and for you. We are God's plan to accomplish his kingdom plan. We are God's plan to accomplish his kingdom plan. And you note the reference on the screen, it says verses 1 through 34. Because Jesus had been driving at this all throughout chapter four. Parable of the soils, message of the kingdom, lamp, parable of the seed growing, parable of the mustard seed. He wants us to understand that, yes, the the word of God must hit our heart and bring life to our dead souls. But this life-giving word that gives us life is not just so that we can receive it, but so that we can give it away. We listen to speak. We receive to give. We already saw this in the last chapter that Jesus chose disciples so that they would be with him and that he might send them out to preach about the kingdom of God. And we know that Jesus' final words were about equipping them and commissioning them to go all over the world and let people know who Jesus is. And so Jesus tells these parables. And he says, when you share my message that I am the light of the world, that my light brings life through my death and resurrection. Just know that some of the seeds that you sow, they may fall on hearts that are not yet receptive. But don't give up. Don't be discouraged because some of those seeds are going to fall on receptive hearts and they are going to pop into life. And, And just know that your job is to sow, but my job is to save So sow the seed and then go to sleep and rest and trust that I am working when you are not working. These beginnings may seem insignificant. Listen, we've been in Boston for 10 years. I love what God has done at Redemption Hill Church. It's been amazing. But if you would ask me, we drawed up our like five-year plan and 10-year plan and 20-year plan. It's like, hey, would you you, uh, you be at this particular place? I would probably say like, yes, but more. More people, more churches planted, more people saying yes to Jesus, more people being baptized and brought to life and growing in Christ and being discipled in all of these things. And yet there's a word of hope here that that nothing that God does is insignificant. We sow, we wait, we watch, and God keeps doing his work. He keeps growing his kingdom as he changes lives. So chapter four is all about this. It's all about this. It's all about accepting and then living in the power of God's kingdom so that we can freely give what we have freely received. I want to pray. And I want to ask God right now as the word has fallen on receptive hearts, 
that we would not discount or underestimate our role as we participate in God's kingdom because God has not invited just a few people in the room into his kingdom mission, but he has invited every single one of us. So God, would you convince us by your Holy Spirit that there is more of Jesus for us to receive, that as we invest day by day, that it is better than any earthly investment we could ever make. But as we invest time with you, that you keep giving and giving and giving us more of yourself. And God, as we, as we move out and as we then sow the seeds that we have received, Lord, that you are at work, that you are doing things that we can't even see why you're doing them, but you are causing people to be changed and brought to life. Lord, that is our prayer. We want to see you move, not just in us, but in the dozens and hundreds and thousands of lives around us so that more and more people can know the joy of knowing Jesus and find life in his name. God, change us. Send us out. And let us do it together, God. Let us not do it alone, but Lord, let us do it together. Let us encourage one another. Let us remind each other of these words because we're a family. We're a family that has one Father who's made us new. We thank you, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. At this time, we're going to celebrate what we call the Lord's Supper, sometimes called communion. And so if you're... If you're worshiping at home, we would encourage you to go get a a cracker, a piece of bread, and and a little juice. And it's our way of remembering the the death of Jesus Christ and and the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. And I want you to think about, it's it's so symbolic, because when we we eat something, we we take it in, right? It's like it's so obvious, but sometimes we miss what is obvious. So, So when we take this little little cracker, and I remind you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And we, and we eat it, we are saying, Jesus, I identify with you. Jesus, I am, I am all in with you. You are my lamp. You are my light. You have brought me life. And then when we drink the, the cup and we, we are reminded this is the blood of Christ shed for you on your behalf that he poured out for the sins of many. We are saying, Jesus, you are my life. Your death has brought me life. I am participating in everything that you lived and died and rose again to bring us. So amazing. So if you're a follower of Christ, I want to invite you, take take the cracker, take the bread. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. And then as you take the cup, remember that this is the blood of Christ that was shed for you. Do this in remembrance of him. So God, we thank you that you have invited us in that you have given us full access to fully participate in the life of Christ. As we read this week in our Bible reading, we've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. The life we live, we live by faith in him who loved us and gave himself for us. So Father, we celebrate you today. We say all of this is is from you and for you and to you. Help us as we sing and respond, we pray in Jesus' name.